A new editor joins the team. We get a look at more hurricane damage in the South, and we hear a fascinating immigrant story. Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a weekly podcast that looks at issues across the country as reported by our editors. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. Working for a farm magazine or content brand is an opportunity that doesn't come up all the time. When an opening appeared on the Delta Farm Press staff, Ginger Rousey saw the position, applied, and was accepted, joining just a few days before we recorded this episode. And we hear her story. The South has been battered by hurricanes of late, and it hasn't been easy. Brad Hare, editor of Southeast Farm Press, shares a look at what folks are seeing in that part of the country. He also offers insight into important help for farmers in times of this kind of trouble, the local extension agent. And finally, we hear a fascinating immigrant story from Shelley Hughley, editor of Southwest Farm Press. It's still true. From humble beginnings, big things can happen. First, let's meet Ginger Rousey. Well, Ginger, I guess I want to welcome you to the Delta Farm Press team and welcome to Around Farm Progress, the podcast. How are you doing and are you getting settled? Lily, I'm great, and thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be a part of this, and yes, I am settling in, learning a lot, and trying to learn it very quickly. (laughs) There's a lot lot to learn, but you've been involved in communications for for some time, right? I mean, tell us who you are and where you came from and how we found you for Delta Farm Press. Sure. Well, for the past 12 years, I've worked for the University of Tennessee Institute of Agriculture um, in their marketing and communications department. And uh, for those familiar with Tennessee geography, the university is based in Knoxville in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains. I was based in the Delta in West Tennessee. So I was kind of off by myself, um, but uh, learning a lot about West Tennessee agriculture, Mid-South agriculture. Um, And so that's what I've been doing. Uh, And through uh, through that job, I got to meet a lot of the Delta Farm Press writers and editors uh, over the years. Uh, by working with them at field days and coordinating stories. And uh, that's that's how I got to know y- your team. Well, great. And we are happy to have you on our team. Um, what tripped the trigger? I mean, you've been at UT for a while and doing a great job. I know that you ran the Milan Field Day last year. I believe you did a lot of work in that and, and have had a lot of other cool projects. Just looking for a change or what do you expect to get out of Delta Farm Press? As a well, you know, it, it, it seemed like a great opportunity. And like you said, I, you, when, I've, when you've been a place as long as I was at UT and you kind of get comfortable and you're, you're, you're just there, right? And uh, when I was approached with this, I thought, well, you know, this sounds like a very interesting adventure. And I also thought it was a great opportunity to work with a really premier publication. You know, when I tell people that I'm going to Delta Farm Press, especially those that work in agriculture, they are very impressed. So that tells me a lot about uh, Delta Farm Press and how it's viewed by its readers and followers. And and then, like I mentioned earlier, you know, I, I've worked with Ron Smith and Forrest Laws and Ed Phillips for, for years. And so I knew I had a great respect for them. And I was just very honored to uh, to join that group. Well, that's cool. Um, of course, Ron Smith kind of turned you on to us as someone we might talk to, Brad Hare and I might talk to. And I'll be speaking with Brad later in this podcast about his work on Sally. Uh, you came in at an interesting time uh, 
hurricanes and Mm -hmm. other crazy things going on. Luckily, no forest fires in the Delta, but uh, it feels like enough. Ron Smith always used to say that this was the best job in journalism. You get to basically write about what you want to write about and cover what you think is important for Delta farmers. And they'll tell you what's important, as you know. Sure. But uh, what what are the things you've already been working on? You've only been on the job here a week. So tell me a little bit about what you've been working on. Yes, it's a week today. Um, well, you know, I sort of cheated on my first job because we, I had worked as, with the university and putting together the cotton tour, virtual cotton tour. So I uh, worked on uh, that uh, Tyson Raper, who's the cotton specialist there, kind of did a recap of his presentation. So that, that was good. Of course, a lot of it dealt with defoliation concerns, which are very timely right now uh, for our cotton producers here in the Mid-South. Uh, also went on a farm visit with a farmer in uh, Madison County, Johnny Burrell, who is um, in the middle of corn harvest. And what's interesting about the way Johnny harvests corn is he harvests corn at a high moisture rate. You know, instead of harvesting there, you know, in the, in the teens, he's looking at harvesting at uh, 25% or greater, and says that he's seen some really high uh, yield gains through that. And uh, interesting talking with him about the infrastructure and, and the, the what he needs, the equipment he needs to make that happen. So that's going to be coming out in a print issue soon. So that's what I've sort of been working on, as well as just, you know, the usual HR processes. That you <laughs> There's through. that issue, which yeah. all of us, even though we've been here a while, have to deal with HR. And that's true of anybody listening to this podcast. You might have right. to deal with HR. The, the interesting thing on the Johnny Burrell story is uh, we'll be curious and we'll be watching for that on DeltaFarmPress.com as well, since things do run online, is what infrastructure he needs for high moisture corn, because that does involve some drying. That's for sure. Yes. Yes. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what he decided to do and why. So I'll look forward to that story. And uh, oh, by the way, the cheat you mentioned, we would all take those shortcuts when we can, <laughs> because there's a lot to write about in our business and there's a lot going on. I mean, as Farm Progress team members, were, many of us are just coming off the Farm Progress virtual experience, which was uh, a yes. significant project. And if we keep doing it, we're going to be engaging many more editors next year because we well, need all the help we can get. <laughs> and, and that was awesome. And I, and I and you mentioned that I did a lot of work with the Milan No-Till virtual field day. And I wish that they had done Farm Press or the Farm Progress field day first because I would have gotten some great ideas from that. But that was really good. But that's another story that I'm sort of working on because as our field day season comes to an end, Everywhere I go, I hear people asking, is this the way we're going to do it from now on? And well, who knows? But I'm, I'm going to be talking with some different university leaders about how extension and, and universities plan to move forward in this new normal. And what did they learn having to do virtual field days? Was it good? Was it bad? What did they take away? And, and where do they see this going in the future? Because my thought is, we're going to be seeing a hybrid, you know, you, we want those in-person events, but hey, the, the virtual is a, has a lot of positives with it. It'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. It, well, Ginger, it will. Ginger, I want to welcome you aboard the Farm Progress team officially. Thank um, you. And I know that they will keep you hopping and keep you busy. And I look forward to touching base with you in the future on Around Farm Progress, which is kind of the role of the podcast is to check in with editors on a regular basis. Take care and stay safe. Thank you. We welcome Ginger to the team, and as you heard, she's hitting the ground running. Next up is Brad Hare, who works from Georgia and has seen his share of hurricanes. We discussed that issue and what this has meant to farmers in the South for 2020. And he talks about some help he was able to turn to in covering the story. 
So, Brad, I uh, just got done chatting with Ginger Rousey a little bit, your new team member. Uh, that's got to be pretty exciting for you, doesn't it? Yes, yeah, good to be back with you, Willie, as always on the podcast. It's always a good opportunity to be with you. But, yeah, I'm glad you spoke with Ginger. Uh, she started with us uh, uh, last week, so to speak, with uh, the Delta Farm Press, and Ginger Rousey's uh, going to come uh, bring a lot with us. She comes, actually, from the University of Tennessee Extension, and she uh, she brings a lot of good experience, a lot of good contacts, and she's uh talented she comes with a good name and uh, we're excited about that for delta we got a lot of good things coming out of delta we have a new editor to, editor too named brent murphy and uh we um building that team back up and they're already hitting the ground running ready to go for this uh, harvest in spring and just looking down the road to a lot of good things yeah a few weeks ago we did say goodbye to ron smith the previous editor of delta farm press and longtime staffer at farm press it's good as i recall bringing people over from university extension has really never served me poorly I'm just thinking about somebody else. Who is it? Oh, <laughs> you. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. But that, there's something to that. And uh, and I tell you, Extension, in a way, in the South, and, I, I, you know, it's different around the country, but in the South, uh, Extension does play a, a pretty big role when it comes to, to agriculture in, in each of the regions. And it's we speak to farmers all the time, Willie, uh, in the South, but uh, in the Delta, and the southeast and, and in Texas and, and southwest and a lot of the top farmers, they're not shy about their secrets. They really aren't. They ask them what are they doing, who they listen to. And of course, the ag industry, the representatives are, are vital as well. But they, most of the guys, the big guys say we we listen to our local extension, our extension specialist. We take the recommendations, may have to tweak them a little bit, but we start with them. And that's a lot of their success. Uh, they, they attribute to extension. Yeah, I know. And it's it's a change for me when you think about what's happened. The Midwest has changed its extension structure and it has changed how we work with extension. We still have some of those resources. But yes, when I travel in the South, I am uh, quite impressed with the relationship between some pretty large farmers and their local extension or their university level extension people. And that's good. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, Sally roared through uh, the Southeast, an area that you cover. Um, I'm Got a chance that maybe you couldn't get down I-10, but you did recently run a gallery about the damage and the impact of that uh, slow-moving uh, rain disaster. Uh, you get a little help there for that, and tell me about what uh, you saw. Well, I'll tell you what, Willie. Um, we would love at some point in the southeast or in the, in the Delta and the Gulf states to to have a harvest season where we're not having to talk about a a hurricane or a tropical storm. I tell you, in the last five years, we're, we're used to them. It's nothing new. But over the last five years, every time we think this year's the year, another year comes on and just tops the next. And for sure, 2020, um, by all accounts, I mean, even the data coming out of no one ever places, it's just really taking taking the cake, so to speak. And we're, we're hitting it, you know, three or four tropical storms. We got one beta coming up through Texas again. and may come across Louisiana and Mississippi. But, yes, yeah, Sally came last and it was one of those, you know, we get, it pops up and then it just ramps up and it just hits hard. And, and you don't quite know where it's going to hit. But Sally hit right there in that Pensacola region, Mobile, Alabama, Pensacola, Florida region and came up. And that's a lot of big ag country there. And, yeah, we do try to get, and, and of course, with Michael hit and other tropical storms hit or hurricanes, we try to get on the ground as soon as possible. But getting over there this time was a little tough, especially since Sally was moving toward uh, our area and, and you don't want to get in the way. But I tell you, we talked about extension. It's good to have good relationships and friends. And, and one was uh, Libby Johnson. For me, I reached out to. She's an extension agent in Excambia County, which is the same county Pensacola's in. You know, Pensacola is a well-known 
uh, coastal time, but if you go up farther north, it's that county is quite diverse in row crops and cattle. I mean, you got cotton, you got peanuts, you got corn, you got big cattle operations as well. And Libby, first of all, I reached out to her and said, "Lady, you you okay? You you're not under a house anywhere. Not you know, kind of trying not to be too serious with it." But she got back with me and she said, "Yeah, she's fine." And I said, "Well, what's going on?" She said, "Well, tomorrow." And this was the this was when Sally was just passed over. Yeah. And uh, she had she didn't have power. So, uh, the cell service was uh, touch and go. Uh, but she said, I'm going to hit the road tomorrow if I can and start going to see some of my growers. I said, well, that, that sounds about like you and it sounds about like a lot of extension folks. But no, I said, do you mind if you have time to just give me a call whenever you get around to some farmers or can you send me some pictures? She said, I'll be glad to do that. And that's where that gallery came from. But that's kind mm-hmm. of that that relationship and just having people like that that'll help you out, especially for our coverage, because she wanted to we want to get the information out there to what's happening you never know really what the damage is going to be until and from experience we know this until weeks months down the road but the immediate impact pictures do say a lot and she was able to send me you know several pictures of damage you know flooded peanut fields uh cotton fields that uh, twisted up cotton laying down and we know from experience you know cotton will stand back up but sometimes it won't and those flooded peanut fields uh growers thought they were through with their fungicide programs. They're going to have to probably continue on a couple more weeks with that. And, but most importantly, she was out there, what they do best. She was just going to see her farmers. And I tell you what, Will, if you look, and I hope people will go to the gallery. And we, we promote it. And in fact, we've got a lot of good responses from it, from extension people and from growers. You see the damage. You see what's happening. You, you, you worry about it. You worry about people. But I tell you what, a lot of these farmers is in that gallery. They're smiling because they know it could have been worse. Yeah. And they got somebody there like Libby coming to see them and talk to them. And it's just good to know there's people like that out there checking on you. And so they were very willing to let their pictures be used. And uh, uh, we may use one for the cover of the next Southeast Farm Press. Uh, uh, and uh, the guy was very willing and happy to do that. He was out checking fences and getting cows back in line. Didn't have no power yet, but they was working to get the cows back in line. Um, but, yes, yeah, Sally came through. We hope uh, Vader doesn't give us too much more. We but we're, at, we're actually right now in the middle of the worst part of typically what our hurricane season is. I mean, we still got the back end of this thing coming, and we're hoping we're hoping this is it. But we'll we'll adjust as needed. It's like we had a break, though. I understand we had uh, Katrina and Rita and all that in the mid 2000s, and then it felt like I mean, I'd be going to Sunbelt in October, and there really hadn't been much. Maybe in you know what I mean in terms of that, and then suddenly with Michael after that, it feels like. There's just been one after another in the last five years that just and it always looks like the hurricanes are like this. Hey, that cotton looks really good. <laughs> well, you know, Willie, you picked up on. Yeah, that's actually become, uh, I guess, a joke, too. You know, this year's cotton crop. Michael's came over some of the best cotton in Florida and in Georgia. And I saw it. I mean, people could say it's good cotton. But once you see yeah. it, you know it. I mean, it was three bale cotton. Jeez. And that's become a joke. One way to draw attention of a big hurricane is to have a good cotton crop in the southeast. But you're right. Michael really kind of – but we also – we've had some pretty big hurricanes hit along the Virginia, Carolina areas right. too in the last right. couple of years. But our ironic thing about Sally that struck a lot of people uh, is that Ivan came through 16 years to the date. And oh, Ivan right. was the last major hurricane to hit that particular part of Alabama and Florida it came right at the same place, right there in Mobile and Pensacola and uh, Orange Beach. And uh, Ivan 
came through. It was a big, terrible hurricane. I remember it too. And it came over our area to where I live in Georgia and went back mm -hmm. out to uh, to the Atlantic. And similar to what Pauletta is doing, I don't know if you've seen some of your listeners may have heard of Pauletta. I call it a zombie hurricane that came through and hit the Caribbean. Now it's out there turning again and threatening to turn turn back around and come back into the Gulf. Something maybe at some point. But Ivan, that's what Ivan did. Ivan went back out to Atlantic, turned back down toward the peninsula of Florida, re-entered the Gulf of Mexico, and actually re-entered and came back over Florida and Georgia again. So we got it twice, actually. Uh, Sally did have the decency to go on out and leave us alone, don't like she's coming back. But that was the last big one that really hit that particular region. There was a lot of comparisons with some of the growers I spoke with when I was talking with them on the phone uh, right before and after Sally. Um, I think it's going to turn out that maybe Ivan was a little bit worse, but then again, it's also localized. If, it, if you had open cotton, if you had uh, peanuts dug or just about ready to get dug, um, it's going to hit that crop and it's going to hit that quality and the beans as well. Um, but the damage too, I was talking to his growers, you know, he hadn't even made it out to his field yet. He was just trying to work on getting generators ready for his dad in his house and uh, cleaning up around the neighbors, just getting the county roads to where you can drive on them. So a lot of that field stuff, will come on now this week. Thank goodness the sun is out and in the south we've actually had some pretty mild temperatures and we've, we've had a cool front and we call that this time of year about 75, 80. And it's uh, sunshine is coming out and that helps that helps people get back to back in the field sooner rather than later. Uh, some of that lighter sandier soil in that region will dry out quicker but some of that heavier soil in the, in the middle part of Alabama, that little northern part of Florida is going to take a little longer. I was surprised to see the number of the peanuts that had been lifted and they were soggy. I mean, that was the timing was not good for anything when Sally came through. So, yeah, yeah. No, it's never a good timing. But uh, it, again, I hate to go back. Well, I go back to that gal and I go back to the, I talked to Ben Kickler, which is a farmer in Baldwin County. Yeah. Um, and I talked to him the day after. And that's the one that was getting the generators ready and all. And he said, okay, they always say this. And, and I guess it's a good thing. Said, Unless it's really bad. He's not always say it could have been worse. We got damage to the house. We got several barns blown away, but you know, all that's fine. We're all healthy, and uh, I'll get back out there to the field, and we'll we'll get what we can, and then we'll deal with it from there. Well, Brad, it's always good to catch up with you and chat a little bit about what's going on in your neck of the woods. A link to this gallery will be in the write-up for this podcast. That's a good awesome. way to find out what's going on, and we appreciate the time. Take care and uh, stay safe. Thank you, Willie. Thanks to Brad for his insight on the hurricane issue, but also on an important resource for farmers, those county extension agents. And we wrap up today with Shelley Hughley, editor of Southwest Farm Press, who shares a fascinating story of a farmer whose family history starts in an unlikely place. So Shelley, good to catch up with you. You've, you've come across a really interesting story in Texas. I, I think it's a neat story. I, I just was curious as to, I guess my starting question would be is, how did you find this story? Good to visit with you. I was at the BASF APT Summit in January. It was right before Beltwide. And, you know, anytime we go to conventions or meetings, we do a million and one interviews. And I, it's the last day everybody's leaving. They're going to get breakfast. And Richard and Judy Guyona, pass through and I, I stop and visit with them for just a little bit. Richard is chairman of the Rolling Plains Cotton Growers. So I originally start out by asking him about their objectives for 2020. But my favorite question and my favorite thing to know about people is, you know, how did you get started in farming? Where do you come from? 
because I feel like where we come from is a big part of, of what motivates us and who we are today, good or bad. When I asked him that, he began to tell me about his dad, Geronimo, and we didn't get to talk long. And honestly, I forgot everything really about that conversation, except about that little snippet about his dad. And so I always I had I've told myself since I'm going to get back to him and, and I want to hear the full story. And so this summer I spent a day uh, on the Rolling Plains. I started out at Jeff and Feeney Posey's farm and visited with them about their their cotton crop. And, and then I got to have lunch with Richard and Judy uh, at their farmhouse, had a great roast lunch. And at their kitchen table, Richard began to tell me the story about his dad. Richard's dad's name is Geronimo. And, and as a teenage boy with a second grade education, one of 12 siblings decides to leave his family's small farm uh, in Nuevo Leon, Mexico, for the border town of Reynosa, where he goes to live with some family friends. And at the age of 13, Geronimo begins to travel with migrant workers, and they would start picking fruits and vegetables in South Texas and move their way up to Washington State. And by 1955, Geronimo's in his early 20s. He is towing cotton in Fisher County, which is, Roby is in Fisher County. He begins to work for a gentleman by the name of Thurman Terry. In the meantime, he's married Richard's mom, Juanita Hasso. He's working. He's also working as a night dinner at Farmers Union Co-op Gin. And Thurman begins to talk to him about purchasing land, farming on his own. Well, Geronimo has a problem. He's going to need to take out a loan. And the only way he can take out a loan is if he is a U.S. citizen. And so over the next 10 years, he begins to work towards his citizenship. And by 1966, Geronimo not only becomes a U.S. citizen, but purchases his first 160 acres of American soil on the Texas Rolling Plains. I'm curious about how Thurman started that conversation. Hey, so uh, talk to me about why you, do you want to farm more? I mean, because by then Geronimo had kind of settled. He wasn't making the traverse from Texas to Washington anymore. He had settled in that area, right? Right. And he is working for Thurman. And, you know, as I talked about Richard and Richard talks about his dad's character, his hard work ethic. He talks about how his dad was never afraid to ask questions, that he was willing to try new things. I think Thurman would guess he saw that in him and, and said, I want, I want to help you work towards this goal. And he eventually purchased, purchased land. And then by 1975, uh, Geronimo partner, partnered with Thurman Terry and some of Thurman's family members on a cotton gin. And they owned that till 2006. And it was called uh, Terry's Gin. So he was definitely a man that was a risk taker and, and wasn't afraid to ask questions and, and worked hard. Well, it just shows that you really can start from nothing and get somewhere in the United States. And the Guyana family is a prime example. Obviously, uh, Richard moved on from there, right? He, he built on what his dad started. Well, that's that. the second half is, is <laughs> just as good as the first half. So here we are in 1975, Geronimo's partnered on the cotton gin. 
1977, Richard is a senior in high school at Roby High School, and a gentleman by the name of Glendale Ammons, a landowner, approaches him and says, hey, what are your plans after high school? Richard said, I don't really know. And he said, well, if you decide to farm, I've got 160 acres, I'll rent you. And Richard said he sat down with his dad and discussed his options. And his, he said his dad looked at him, he said, what do you want to do? And he said he thought about it and he decided to go ahead and farm. And Richard said this was the beginning of his working relationship farmer to farmer with his dad and his dad allowed him to work for him and use his equipment and then they eventually started a partnership and uh, Geronimo began to help Richard purchase equipment and and eventually Richard went out on his own but at one point father and son were farming about 5,000 acres of cotton together and today uh, Richard still farms that original 160 acres that Glendale Ammons offered him, but he's also farming the land that his daddy originally purchased after, right after he became a U.S. citizen. And so it's just this legacy, this powerful story of, I think the power, you know, in, in agriculture, I think sometimes, or maybe just society in general, it's this lone ranger mentality that we got to get where we're going on our own. And this story is just, just plays out so beautifully of the power of, of when we step into each other's lives and when we when we see the potential in people and then us as individuals, when when we're working hard, when we're making sacrifices that other people see that and when it all comes together it changed the course of history for the Guyana family and not just one generation, but two. Oh yeah. I, just I mean, it's that. tremendous. Yeah, that's a great, I mean, it's a great story. And I'm glad that Richard actually told you the story. Not everybody might tell that story, but I think that it's such a cool story in terms of uh, farmers recognizing employees that can be more valuable. There's a link to the story in the write-up on this podcast. Uh, you need to find out about the father and son relationship and something about the farm loan, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can I share a little bit about that or do you oh, want to? Oh, please do share a little bit. Okay. It's, a funny, it's a funny story, I think. It is. So when Geronimo purchases this original 160 acres, he takes out a 40-year loan from FMHA. And as Richard is talking to me and telling me the story, he says, you know, he's talking about how just what a smart man his dad was and hard worker. And he says, but there were a few things that we didn't agree on. For example, that loan, that 40 year note. And he said, I told him several times, dad, why don't you pay that off? And he said, oh, the interest is low. This is just how I'm going to do it. And he said, he eventually looked, Geronimo looked at him and said, look, you do it your way. I'm going to do it my way. And uh, Richard said, all right, all right. But Richard did tell me, he said, I never have taken out a 40-year loan. And if anything, he said he tries to pay them off early. And he said, that's just a goal I set for myself. But he said, my dad sure did take every bit of 40 years to pay that note off. It's a good story about just managing and how different people have a different approach to the way they want to manage whatever debt they're carrying on their operations. I think one of the things that's also powerful about this story is that Richard shared how passionate his dad was about serving his community, but not only 
himself, but encouraging Richard and his siblings to serve. And today, Richard not only is chairman of the Rolling Plains Cotton Growers, but he serves on the American Cotton Producers, the National Cotton Council and Cotton Council International. And we can't ever forget also the power of, of service and how our kids are watching us. And, and they are looking to us to see how to live and how to serve. And, and that's something Richard learned from his dad and is certainly giving back to our, our cotton industry today. Well, Shelly, it's been a pleasure talking to you about the Guyanas. It was a fun story to read. I'm going to have the link, in, as I said, in the, in the write-up. Keep up the good work and keep on connecting with your farmers and trying to always remember that one comment somebody made as they're racing off to breakfast. I'm going to remember that one, too. Take care. and Thanks very much. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks to Ginger Rousey, Delta Farm Press, Brad Hare from Southeast Farm Press, and Shelley Hughley from Southwest Farm Press for their insights today. Good stories all. You've been listening to Around Farm Progress, our weekly look at agriculture across the United States with editors from the Farm Progress team. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional magazines, as well as Farm Futures, Beef, National Hog Farmer and Feedstuffs, and the new Farm Progress Virtual Experience. If you didn't tune into the premiere of the Farm Progress Virtual Experience, you can still visit the site to see more. Just visit farmprogressshow.com for a direct connection to the virtual event where all the field demonstrations, exhibitor links, and breakout sessions remain available. Be sure to visit. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.